welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Joseph received a confirmation from the angel that Mary would bear the Son of God and then was faced with extremely hard circumstances. Obedience to God is risky business. Today, we'll see how Joseph handled these hardships as we continue our journey through the lineage of Jesus with Cheryl Broderson. We will come before you, Lord, in wonder, wonder. We will fall on our knees and surrender. We surrender to you. And now here's part two of Cheryl's message, Joseph, God is at work. Perhaps you remember the story in Luke 1, verses 62 through 63, where they're asking Zacharias, the ancient priest, who can't speak because of the angelic visitation he had, what the child who Elizabeth is about to bear should be named. And he asked for writing implements, and he writes down his name is John. And of course, at that point, he's able to speak. But it was the father's obligation to name the child. Joseph is to announce the name of the child, which will also identify the mission of this child's life. As the angel says to Joseph in Matthew 121, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Joseph immediately obeys this heavenly calling. In fact, we're told when he was aroused from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary as his wife. He didn't hesitate. He didn't wait. At that moment, he completed the ceremony and took Mary into his house. Joseph obeyed the Lord with absolute diligence, honor, and respect. We're told in Matthew chapter 1 that he did not know Mary, have intimate relationship with her until after the child was born. He had absolute respect and honor for Mary. He took this edict from God so seriously, these instructions, being called into the plan of God, told to take Mary as his wife, Joseph took that so seriously. He honored, he respected Mary, and he protected her, and he became her guardian. And he honored the child that was in Mary's keeping. After this, we find out that adverse circumstances arise. Now, that's not what we would expect. Joseph has this angelic visitation in a dream. He's told of the the plans and the work that God is going to do. He's called into this work. But the next thing that happens is adverse circumstances or circumstances that make this hard to complete, hard to fulfill, or almost seem contradictory to what God is telling him to do. Because it's during this time from Caesar Augustus that an edict is issued that affects the entire known world. Caesar wants to impose taxes on all the people he rules over. And in order to make sure 
that everyone is accounted for and he gets all the money he needs, he orders a census. He orders that every person, including the Jews, register according to their lineage. Suddenly, Joseph's lineage to the throne of David cannot be hidden. He must identify with his ancient grandfather, with the kingdom of David. He must go to Bethlehem because he is of the house and lineage of David. He must be registered. It must go on the Roman books who he is and who he's related to. It must be publicized. It must be seen. It must be officially recorded. Now, at this time, it would be reasonable for Joseph to leave Mary and Nazareth under the care and keeping of a midwife or women there. But Joseph will not leave his sacred charge. He will take Mary with him, even though it's 90 miles. And, and that's 90 miles that must be walked. We're not told about any donkey that Mary rode on, though that's possible. A cart is possible. But giving Given the impoverishment of Israel, given the fact that when it comes to the days of Mary's purity, they have to offer two turtle doves and not a lamb, Joseph probably didn't have enough money for a donkey. So it was probably quite a long walk to Bethlehem, 90 miles. We often romanticize this scene in Bethlehem, but in reality, it was chaotic, crowded, and oppressive. There's a hum of activity. This small village is overrun. There's no room at the inn. There are Roman-sanctioned tax collectors assessing and charging everyone. And nobody knew how great the charges would be. Joseph could not be sure if he had enough money or what would be taken from him. There is the ever-present threat of being arrested because he is of the lineage and house of David. Yet in this very oppressive and these exposing circumstances, Joseph is actually fulfilling the will and work of God because there's a prophecy in Micah 5 2 that says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. Here in the overly crowded, unpretentious village of Bethlehem, the Savior. Christ the Lord is born. Mary wraps him in swaddling clothes and lays him in a manger in the midst of a stable because there's no rooms available in this inn. I think it's important right here to stop and realize that Joseph's obedience to God involved many risks. It involved a social risk because he's taking a pregnant virgin into his care and keeping. It involves a security risk because he has to publicly acknowledge his link to the dynasty of David, which could threaten his life. There's a financial risk because of the journey to Bethlehem, the taxes, the accommodations. Again, he is paying or underwriting um, Mary and for all of Mary's expenses too. There's a comfort risk. He's moving from a known land of Nazareth and from his trade as carpenter there, going to Bethlehem where he's not known, where he doesn't have a workshop. There's also a physical risk because he will be sought out by Herod and others to take the life of his young charge. Yet to Joseph, God's instructions are more important than any 
risks. And he goes to Bethlehem and oversees the birth of Jesus and names him Jesus. What follows is a series of confirmations and affirmations. No doubt, Joseph at times had to wonder, is this really the the will of God? This is the son of God? This is the son of David? This is the heir to the throne and promises of God? But wait, a stable, not a palace? No room? Rejection already at birth? I don't think Joseph was aware that he was fulfilling prophecy or scripture. He was simply walking in obedience to God and doing the next or necessary thing. But in so doing, he was proving the validity and veracity of God's word. So in this little stable, God sends confirmation to Joseph. Alone with his wife and child, the shepherds come from the fields of Bethlehem. Like Joseph, they testify of seeing an angel. Like Joseph, they were instructed by an angel. Like Joseph, they obeyed the word of the angel. And they came to Bethlehem. How this word, this testimony of these angels must have resonated with Joseph's soul. The shepherds talk about a company of angels that filled the sky and brightened the atmosphere. They tell of the first angel's words, do not be afraid. The very word that was spoken to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. So these, this angel comes to these shepherds in this blinding, bright, glorious light and say, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. How this must have confirmed God's word to Joseph. That Joseph was actually in the right place. It was the right time. It was the right set of circumstances. All these things that were hardships were actually what identified the Christ child, the savior of the world to these shepherds. It was the swaddling cloths. It was the manger. It was the birth in Bethlehem in a stable. The shepherds also spoke of the angels chorus as the sky was filled with a company of angels that shouted glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. God was revealing his great work, his great glory to men on earth and letting men know it was a work of glory. It was a work of peace. It was a work of goodwill. It was a work of redemption through his only son. This confirmation came through these lower class shepherds to confirm to Joseph the work of God. But further confirmation awaited Joseph and Mary when they came to the temple to offer the sacrifices of dedication or purification for the birth of this boy. Their sacrifice, as we mentioned before, of two turtle doves shows the impoverished state of this young couple. Rather than offering a lamb, they offer the sacrifice of the poor. And at that moment, while they are submitting their offering. Simeon, a godly man who was at the temple awaiting the salvation of the Lord comes forward and we're told that seeing Jesus, Luke chapter 2, he took up the child in his arms and began to bless the Lord. 
His praise states that God had kept his word and promise to this old man. There had been a personal word to Simeon that he would not die until he saw the salvation, the Yahshua, the Jesus of Israel. And he also states God's promise to the world, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. And the promised one of Israel, their glory. Simeon then is followed by Anna, an 80-something-year-old widow who is known for her fastings and prayer, her godliness. And as she sees Simeon and the Christ child, she begins to give thanks to God and testifies of Jesus, this Christ child, to all who come to the temple seeking redemption or salvation or the plan or work of God. She was saying, it's here. I've seen it with my own eyes. This was her testimony. No doubt this is confirmation and affirmation to Joseph. Yes, this is my work. This is my plan. Come to light. But even more confirmation follows because we learn in Matthew chapter 2. While Joseph and Mary are living now in a house in Bethlehem where they have taken up residence, one day three kings from the east arrive and they tell of being guided by a star. They have followed an ancient prophecy and come seeking the one who has been born king of the Jews. There it is again, that promise, that work of God, that word. They have come in order to worship the king and to give him gifts of gold and frankincense, myrrh, gifts worthy of a king. They describe a meeting with King Herod when they lost sight of the star, how they stopped in Jerusalem to make inquiries and how they found themselves in Herod's court, how Herod had feigned interest in their quest and then summoned the chief priests and the scribes to ask where the king of the Jews would be born. And how they had been informed by the chief priests and these scribes of an ancient prophecy found in Micah 5.2 that the Christ child, the king of the Jews, the ones whose rulership was from old but would go to everlasting, would be born in Bethlehem. Do you think this was news to Joseph? Do you think he recognized or realized how he was fulfilling God's word and work? I don't know. But here was confirmation. Later, the wise men are warned in a dream not to return to Herod's court, but to go back circumventing Jerusalem and not to give any information about the divine child to the king. Joseph at this point also receives a dream. This will be his second dream. And he's told to get up immediately and flee with the mother and child to Egypt. Joseph immediately obeys. After he leaves Bethlehem, Herod initiates a surprise attack on Bethlehem. After realizing that the wise men are not returning to his court, haunted by the thought of a true king of the Jews usurping his throne, Herod ordered the execution of all the children to and under in Bethlehem and nearby areas. Again, he is fulfilling the prophecy given by Jeremiah that Rachel, whose tomb who had been buried by her husband, Jacob, in Bethlehem, is weeping over the descendants there. So Joseph flees immediately. We're told he rose up immediately again. 
from sleep and took Mary and the child and fled to Egypt. While in Egypt, Joseph receives another dream. It's his third, that Herod is dead, as well as those who sought the life of Jesus. He is to return to Israel. And again, Joseph obeys the heavenly instructions, and in doing so, fulfills a prophecy in Hosea, which states, out of Egypt I have called my son. Upon returning to Israel, there is a fourth dream. In this dream, the angel directs Joseph to return to Nazareth. Again, Joseph obeys because now Joseph is fully immersed. His life has become all about fulfilling the word of God, being part of the work of God. God is also working in our lives. We're told in Philippians 2.13 that it's God who works in us to will and to do of his own good pleasure. And certainly that's what we see in the life of Joseph. But God's work is started in the darkness of circumstances, in the darkness of impossibilities. Everything is underground. It seems so dark. It seems like nothing can take place. And it's in these dark circumstances that adverse or puzzling circumstances wake us up to the ancient promises of God, to our personal need of God, that we can't do anything without him, to the need of the counsel of God. What are we supposed to do with the circumstances in our lives? Next comes divine instructions or directives. Where do we receive these directives, these instructions? We get them from the word of God. Because until we're obeying the instructions in the word of God, no further instructions will come. We must do the first things before the second things happen. Joseph had to obey the first dream before he received a second, third, or fourth dream or more instructions. The promises and divine instructions are in the scripture. And there we receive an inward sense of God's leading and God's calling. Joseph received a dream or a strong desire. So we, from the scriptures, receive a strong desire. A real dream arises. The work of God. His word speaking to us. Next comes obedience. So first it comes from circumstances that lead us to God then divine instructions, and then obedience to those instructions. Again, it begins with general obedience to the word we have received. A word will not follow till we have received and begin to obey those words. There was a time lapse between Joseph's first and second dream. After this, edicts and circumstances beyond our control, even as the edict from Caesar came, these circumstances seem to be circumventing, postponing the work of God. Often seem like distractions, but God is in the detail. Even in taxes, displacement, vulnerability, and discomfort, God is working. Finally, God follows these instructions with affirmations and confirmations. And these affirmations and confirmations assure us that we are in the will of God. And they come from un likely sources. I think I shared with you before that a man I knew received confirmations from license plates. These to Joseph were from the unlikely resources or sources of shepherds, testimonies and stories, old men, old women, 
widows, stars, kings, and dreams. But they all spoke God's word. They all confirmed God's word to Joseph. They were all testimonies of God's work and word. And they resonated with Joseph's spirit, just like these affirmations and confirmations will resonate with us the work that God has promised to us and to work in us. And all this leads to a full immersion to God's plans. We receive a greater sensitivity to God's leading. We are actively following his instructions and we are seeking the manifest glory of the Lord. I want you to know in your life, God is at work right now and God's work is being done right now in your life. Though it's covered, though it seems obscured, we're told in Psalm 139 verse 15 that God skillfully works in secret places and records it in his book. Though some of his work is readily visible, some is unseen, some is waiting to be awakened by prayer. Perhaps you didn't realize that right now you are being awakened to the work of God. Maybe you're in dark circumstances or you've come out of dark circumstances. Maybe you're troubled by puzzling news. I want you to get ready for the work of God. He's calling you to be an active participant in his work. Prepare yourself. Arm yourself for the work of God. Don't be put off by your circumstances, taxes, or edicts, or things that seem to contradict or get you uncomfortable. This is all part of God's work in you, with you, through you, by you. In fact, ask God to open your eyes and ears to the confirmations and affirmations he wants to give to you about his work in your life, through your life, with your life, by your life. So take this time to dedicate yourself fully to being a active participant in God's work. Again, God doesn't just want to work with you or for you. He wants to work in you. Great things await up ahead. The dawning of the day is coming. God is working right now, very actively, in all the circumstances of your life to bring about the glorious dawn and manifestation of Jesus in you. For it is God who works in you to will and to do of his own good pleasure. Are your days dark? Are your circumstances puzzling? Then you are getting ready for exciting times and being called to be an active participant in the work of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you work in the darkness to bring about the day. Lord, that these days are not leading to greater darkness, but every night must give way to the morning that you will bring about your greatest work. Lord, we lift our hands to you right now. We say, Lord, here I am. Let me be a participant in your work like Joseph. Let me obey your instructions. Like Joseph, let me hear your word. Let me see your work. Let me receive your confirmation and your affirmation. Lord, let me fully immerse myself in all that you are doing. Don't let me stand on the sidelines, Lord. But let me have a part and a place in this glorious work that you want to do 
in these last days. Lord, we lift up our hands and say, here we are. Use us. Work in us. Work through us. Work with us. Work by us. Your glorious work. We ask this in the almighty, powerful name of Jesus. Bring to light the glory of your Son. And may we be a participant in bringing Jesus out into the light and sight of all men. In Jesus' name, amen. Christian, God is at work in your life right now. Maybe you're in dark circumstances. Maybe you're troubled by puzzling news. Well, get ready for the work of God. He's calling you to be an active participant in His work. Prepare yourself. Arm yourself for the work of God and know this. God doesn't want to just work with you or for you. He wants to work in you. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study with Cheryl Broderson. If you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply visit our website at graciouswords.com or call 1-800-733-6443 and refer to it by name, which is Joseph. God is at work. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll begin our study on the life of Mary as we continue our journey through the lineage of the King with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.